exciting. We're here at Peacock Gym, fresh. In fact, this morning we found out that the board have decided to cancel all uh, public shows under their jurisdiction for until the end of April, I believe, although they're going to reassess it next month. What, what did you make of you? Probably not surprised. Uh, no, not surprised, but obviously disappointed because we've had boys getting ready for shows. But I mean, that's across the board, and obviously there's more important things out there happening. People have lost uh, loved ones, and obviously that's obviously more upsetting. So, I mean, we'll get over it and we'll move on, won't we? Like always in boxing, it's just it's just the next move on to the next thing. How does the training work with the lads now? Do they do you kind of keep them ticking over? Do they take a one or two week break so they don't overtrain? Well, to be fair, what we, we decided this morning, we're going to keep the boys in the gym that have actually got dates, and the boys that haven't got dates won't be in the gym from next week. And that's dates what from the start of May onwards at the moment. Yeah, basically, yeah. It must be tough for the guys. I mean, you've seen them this morning, like you said, and you only found out when I think the ball came to do the check weight. So you must have been a bit not shocked, but you must have been disappointed. Like I said, very disappointing, and um, I think we all knew it was, could possibly happen. But as you know, you still have to prepare and be ready to fight because you know it, it could change. So it's, it's a real hard. I mean, everybody who's probably watching this and has got boys in the gym has probably been through the same thing, and it is disappointing. But like I say, listen, we haven't lost any loved ones fortunately yet, so we're not in that position. And um, the boxing will will we'll reach will reschedule and we'll go again. It won't be the first time like that we've had to, had to actually miss a show and get ready. But obviously these are different circumstances and trying times for everybody. Probably the most kind of uh, highly anticipated fight that you were involved in was going to be Daniel Dubois, Joe Joyce, which was set for April the 11th, I yep. believe. How's Daniel taken the news? Well, to be fair, we're still training as if that's on. So we've not, the boys have got dates we've changed nothing for. The boys that we haven't got dates for, we've asked to stay out of the gym. So they are going to reassess in April, so it could still be on. How would you feel, and obviously that's a decision for Frank Warren whether this happens, but how would you feel if it ended up being behind closed doors? It'll be what it'll be, won't it? I mean, if it goes on, we're very lucky and very fortunate because there's lots of other sporting events and uh, really important things happening in people's lives that won't go on. I mean, there's probably going to be marriages and bits and pieces going on in other people's lives, which are really important, and they've, they've put a lot of time and effort in to getting ready, similar to ourselves, and they're not going to happen, so it's disappointing. But if, if we're fortunate enough to be able to be on, I think we're, you know, we're counting our blessings, whether it's behind closed doors or not. Have you had anyone here that's you know tested positive? Or sh well, I suppose you're not being tested, but shown symptoms? To be fair, no. Fortunately, we haven't, but that's not to say I don't know what's wrong. Well, there's some athletes, high profile, that have been on uh, social media that haven't even shown any symptoms. Apparently, and are really healthy, sometimes it's symptomless. So for boxers, I mean, you might never know. You'd never know, no. So, listen, we'll just, we'll just uh, like everybody, we'll follow any guidelines that are set, and we'll try and be as professional as possible. And um, by saying that, as I said just now, we'll just keep the boys out that haven't got dates so that we're not over, overflowing the gym and um, we'll just we'll carry on regardless. Joshua, finally the decision has been made. You decided to turn pro and you've gone pro with Matchroom. Why did you choose Matchroom over all the other offers that you may have had? No, I began at Matchroom. It's the first people I spoke to, especially with the platform that they've got, the stable they've got. You know, Sky is a broadcaster. And uh, Eddie advised me as well to take time, look around, do what's right for me, which I did. And um, I'm back to where I began and I'm really happy. No regrets with the decision and I'm ready to get the ball rolling. 
you obviously had other offers in the UK, but did you get any offers from the promoters in the States, Golden Boy or Top Rank? Did they approach you? Yeah, yeah, we uh, people spoke with uh, American promoters, European promoters as well. But this is where I belong. This is where I'm happy. I belong in UK and I'm ready to get the ball rolling. Why such a long wait? Because there's a couple of reasons I asked that question because many people have thought after you won the Olympics, immediately turned pro amongst the fanfare. And then also being out of the ring for so long, obviously you had a little bit of an injury, but being out of the ring so long, that's just going to maybe add a little bit of rust to you. So why did you wait so long for the decision? Um, speaking about rust, uh, I've been in the gym working hard, you know, so that goes hand in hand with being a professional because being an Olympian is like being a professional in itself. And um, the reason why it took so long is moving forward, I have to make sure that this decision is one that I'm comfortable with, you know, a lot of people have had me do it now, do it later, stay amateur, go pro. But I had to make sure I was comfortable within myself. And uh, I'm not just an opportunist. I just didn't win the Olympics and think, OK, great, I'm going to jump at an opportunity. It takes time to strategize my, my plans and set my goals because I really want to do well. So um, step by step, I spoke with Eddie, spoke with a lot of people that are helping me and we've set goals. And uh, October the 5th will be the beginning of, uh, of my goal reaching. You mentioned in the press conference there to a question from the press that you'll be training at Tony Sims' gym, but you didn't say that Tony Sims will be your trainer. So does that mean he will be in your corner for your first fight or are you still looking yeah. to work with a certain trainer? Yeah, yeah, he'll be in my corner for my first fight. He'll be helping me with a lot of my technique work. And uh, that's how it's going to start. Are you still having links to GB? Because obviously... Um, the setup they've got up in Sheffield is, is immense and the kind of dietitian, the, the strength and conditioning and the attention of so many coaches, including the performance director, Robert McCracken, can only be a loss to you now when you're turning professional. You must miss that. Are you going to still remain links there? As you said, it's like, it is like a big loss. That's why I try to get something as close as possible to the GB setup when I was turning professional because that, that setup that I was uh, based under in the Olympics was priceless. It helped me improve. So uh, I have stepped away from it training-wise, but as, a, as, as the friendship we've built over the last 14 months, 16 months I was on the Olympic team, you know, I've been great mentors, I've met great friends, so I'm always going to stay in touch with the, uh, with the Olympic team, whether it's 2012, 2016, 2020. You know, I've been there, I've done it, and I want to see all the guys coming through progressing as well. Was the fear of going to the World Championships and maybe not winning gold that time, was the fear of that taking a bit of the shine off of your victory from 2012 part of the reason you decided to turn or was it that you just felt this is the right decision for me now? Uh, deep down within my heart I felt it was the right decision for me now. Um, I, I did believe that I could go to the World Championships and win. Um, even though it's a tournament, it's not just a one bout thing, I, I believe that I set my goals as to become a gold medalist at the World Championships. Um, I knew it would be tough. But I, if, even if I went to the World Championship, I would always give it my best, whether that's me losing the first round, bronze medal or gold medal. I always prepare to give it my best and work my hardest behind closed doors. So that didn't really make the decision for me. This is what I've wanted to do for a long time. And uh, I finally got it right and I'm happy. You're in great athletic shape. We saw that at the Olympics. You're, you're a natural athlete by the looks of things. That's testament to you only taking up boxing in 2007-2008. Saw you box in the ABAs, beat Joe Joyce in the London finals in 2011. You look, yeah, you look very, you look very sharp. You look strong, and but you've refined that skill whilst being on GB. But turning over as a professional, it's like a completely different game. So how are you going to make sure that you make the right adjustments at the right time? Um, the right adjustments at the right time, hence like. Eddie, hence my management, hence my, my new trainers. And uh, as I said, even as, uh, as a professional amateur, an Olympic amateur, 
boxer. I think that the system that they've got there is prices. I think a lot of these guys could potentially go on to become world championships, even if they stayed on that system, because you are living and training like a professional anyway. So all I've tried to do is uh, take away the successful formula that we've had, take it into the professional routes and just tweak it a bit, you know, add things to it. Because in the amateur boxing, it's about hitting and not getting hit. Just because I'm a professional doesn't mean I'm going to get in there and start going to war with people. It's the same rules apply as a professional. So I think I've just got to make sure that I train longer and harder as I'm doing longer rounds. And it's going to be tougher, so I'll be ready. In the amateur setup, you had the benefit of boxing regularly and you also had the benefit of training alongside and boxing against guys who were international class heavyweights. In the professional heavyweight scene, especially domestically here, there's a number of um, British slash European level um, fighters, but on the whole, learning in the gym, sparring, there's not the great wealth of, of talent in the heavyweight division in Britain. Does that mean you're going to have to travel around Europe and the States to learn your trade? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Looking at what, like Price and Fury, Hay, Frank Bruno, Lennox, all these guys before me and are still trying to achieve great things. I think that's the same route that they take as well, knowing that they're limited as well um, in the heavyweight division in Britain. Um, and I think I'm going to have to do the same thing, you know. And I'm prepared to sacrifice and go away and do my sparring, learn my trade. And with competition, it's the beginning again. So I've got to start from the bottom, build my way up again. And I will, sooner or later, potentially be competing with the elite boxers of the professional world. Can you just clarify your... So Eddie's your promoter, but is James your manager or are you with a management company? Yeah, James uh, coincides with, like, commercially, helps on contracts. Then I've got the trainer that helps my training and helps me pick my opponents, so on and so forth. So everyone, my job is to train, compete, win. Everyone is in their own positions. Obviously the goal is to, to get to the very top and, and win a world title and emulate the likes of Lennox Lewis, etc. We saw you talking to him at the Olympics after some of your fights and you know you, you obviously got a lot of respect for him and, and obviously, why wouldn't you, he's the greatest heavyweight we've ever had. But more short term, what are your goals? Would you like to win a, a Lonsdale belt? Yeah, we're speaking about it in the car here win it three times you get to keep it and uh, it's a great grass it's a great route to take you know British southern area Commonwealth you know world title it's a great route to take it's going to be tough but that's the vision Talk about your uh, promoter. Yeah? Mr. Eddie Hearn, yeah. The one and only. So, you'd know that no context term has kind of taken the media world by storm. By storm. By storm. Storm fundus. Right, okay. Irrelevant, boring, old, yesterday's news. Out of the way, excuse me, we're coming in. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, 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 what, oh, are these, what are these in reference to? 
Do you know what? Because there's so many interviews, I don't know what, I think he was talking about other promoters. Okay, so he's so, like, so now watch it and listen. Boring, old, <laughs> yesterday's news, out of the way, excuse me. We're coming in. <laughs> I think he was talking about other promoters in, like, worldwide. Okay. Okay? All right. Go and see exactly what's out there. Come back to me. <laughs> You're talking about me there, isn't it? Do you know what he said? Do you know what he meant by that? I don't think I know he was talking about, about you. Me. I know you, you can't do that. No, what he was saying, right? There was a time when I wanted to turn pro. So what he was meaning by that is go and see what other promoters are out there. Yeah, I remember this actually about you. Yeah, he, yeah. he was saying this about you because didn't he tell you to go and speak to other promoters? That's what he just said here. Yeah, if you listen. But it, this isn't about you. <laughs> this is about something else. Come back to me. I don't know who it was about. <laughs> no, you were talking about. Go and see exactly what's out there. Then come back to me and realise. Yes. <laughs> just realise yes. <laughs> Not even realise. Yeah, it's me. Just realise yes. <laughs> right. What is it, Tim? There. I was talking about the October schedule last year. He yeah. was quite pumped on Sky and Design. And he just turned around and said, why aren't I paying homage to the schedule? So basically, while he's reading the schedule, I should be on my knees listening to this. Yeah, because it's such a great, such a great schedule. Such a great schedule. And you're like, nah, it's not that, not that great. And he's like... You did, you did bottle it a bit. Though. He was like, oh, what's up, what's wrong, what's wrong? I was wondering what he was doing. <laughs> a man does this in an interview and you started going, no, 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 no. I'm sure you'd do the same as well. Can't play that again. Oh, oh, what's no, 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 that? No, no, no. That makes me laugh. You know, when he turns his back, it's that teacher in school. Like, I'm not having this, all right? I'm not having this. We saw Anthony Fowler in an interesting fight. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. That was interesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think he had some boots on from 1980, and then he taped up, taped up the soles. I mean, thing is, is we got we got chucked in. Uh, we got we got let down very very late on uh, by Steve Wood and Flatley. Um, they they. I don't know whether they had ambitious to go into the fight with a broken foot apparently that's what they did and the doctor sort of overruled it but you get a fractured foot very frustrating nobody's fault it's just the way it is um, but with that you know Eddie had to go and match room and there and then match matchmakers had to go around trying to find somebody that was you know able to take the fight at four or five days notice and um, oops sorry about that um, 
but yeah, that that is that's what we managed to come up with. Um, yeah, he was a guy that that was in training and and he came over and it was just a bit of a, a bit of a shambles, really, really frustrating for us to be honest. I mean, we put a lot of work in, wanted a wanted a relatively competitive fight. You know, I want to see. I want to see what he's like if he's responsive in the in the corner. There's one thing doing it, inspiring, being being responsive and listening and, and adapting. But then there's another thing on fight night when the adrenaline's going that little bit more and trying to impress. So I kind of wanted a bit more of a uh, a bit more of an acid test, and that's why we mentioned hopefully we're going to get one on the, on May the second. I'd I'd love him to get on the on the Dylan White bill. So um, yeah, I'm working I'm working on that one, but because. Yeah, Fitzgerald fight looks like it's going to be July, so it's a long time for us to wait. Um, we've just at one round of boxing against, you know, it was he's had harder pad sessions. Just how frustrating is it when, particularly Fowler? I mean, Fowler by his own admission and by anybody's admission, you know, he has a big social media presence. He's he opens himself up to stick sometimes, as as people tend to do. I'm sure he would have been. Desperate's probably the wrong word, but certainly very keen to put on a, on a good a good display in his first fight, and something like that happens. Yeah, I mean, he you know he was saying to he was saying in the change rooms, he's like, well, I want to go out there and show what we're working on, and I want to hope this guy you know stands up for a few rounds, and and it's just a very frustrating, uh, very frustrating thing that happened. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, he went he went four rounds with I think John Ryder and stuff. It was a long time ago. They're normally tough when they're coming in from Ghana, you know. He's, a, um, but unfortunately, that's just just is what happened, and we just have to sort of brush it off and go again. Um, but in the gym, he's he was looking really, really good. As you said, he opens himself up. He's an acquired taste on social media, but when it comes to you know working behind closed doors, he's a lovely, lovely person. He's a great guy, and real breath of fresh air into my gym. Um, really positive guys, real team building sort of uh, spirit in the gym, and uh, you know I've, I'm very very happy to be coaching him. Um, I think you know he's got a lot of he's got a lot of untapped potential as well. That hopefully he's he w he's able to show whether it be the Fitzgerald rematch or or um, a fight before. You know I want to show show what we're working on, and and um, I believe he's going to be a proper problem. That Fitzgerald rematch has been much talked about literally since the final bell of the first fight, but Scott, by his own admission, hasn't really kept himself in shape. Um, I mean, he was supposed to be boxing on the same card, um, and then that hasn't happened. Is there a chance that maybe that rematch doesn't happen? Well, it has to happen because he's a British champion, and that's someone that you know we want to we want to we want to win that belt, and we want to go on and win that belt. Um, and then box for a European against Garcia. There's some some big fights out there um, domestically as well. You've got Ted Cheesman. You've got quite a few quite a few good names in the, in around the 154 pound division. And um, but Ant is 29, and we need to fast track him. So he's had a lot of amateur uh, fights. He's had a lot of wear and tear in those sort of fights and those training camps over the years. And he can't be lingering around and waiting on a guy that's blowing up and down and incredibly ill-disciplined um, you know his career shouldn't stop at Fitzgerald but it's one that we really want and if he and if he wants that fight as much as people say on social media oh you yeah but Fowler lost to him you know why should Fitzgerald give him the rematch because there's nowhere really for Fitzgerald to go like if he doesn't you know if he can't get himself motivated he needs this he needs Fowler to be motivated 
you know, I hope for his own sake he can get on the straight and narrow and not, you know, and not mess, you know, piss his career down the wall because he's a talent. But um, you know, Ant, Ant Fowler is a proper professional. That wasn't supposed to be at Championship weight, and then we got the we got the message to be at Championship weight a couple of weeks before for the um, you know for for the Flatley fight, and then obviously it it, it sort of. The WBA didn't didn't sanction it against Tete for a defence, and rightfully so. Um, and we still weighed 11-2. So he's he's always on the he's always on the weight. He's really disciplined. He he doesn't mess about. He trains hard, and that's what boxing's about, really. Especially especially when you're on the way up, you need to be able to prove yourself and show what you're about and show you how serious you are about this game. And you can't, you know, just because you win a British title like Fitzgerald did, you can't blow up and down he needs to go and maximize his career earnings and go out there and and, uh, and and be active which is what he hasn't been final words on one of your old nemesis really um yeah you've got many many of them okay. so you have to uh, you have to rack yeah. your brain to think of which one it could be um scott quigg announced his retirement following his well resounding loss to john o'carroll um in manchester just your thoughts, really, on, on Scott's decision to call it there. I know the, the relationship has certainly mellowed over the years. Um, you don't have the animo well, you don't have the animosity towards him. He might still have it towards you. Who knows? Scott. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, just a word on, on his career, really, and, and his decision to retire from the sport. Um, first off, I want to congratulate him on a fantastic career. Obviously, you know, we were... At the other side of the table, at the other side, of the, in the other side of the corner, uh, when I was with Carl, but he always held himself really well, you know. Um, and we've since met a good few times, and I, I just got nothing but good words to say about him. He's, a, he's an absolute gentleman, very you know, humble, nice guy, true professional. gave the, gave the sport everything he had, um, and he's one of the very few people to walk away world champion with some money in his pocket. So. Um, you know, I want to wish him all the best. I mean, he 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 put up a great fight against Valdez, uh, and I think that was a very hard fight for him. You know, because he took a lot of punches there, and you know, unfortunately, Father Time catches up. He's only it seems strange as he's born in the same year as you know. We're both born in '88, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 strange because someone like Luke's 32, but. You know, he hasn't had the miles on the clock, and, and, but Quig turned pro, I think, at about 18 years of age. He's been pro a hell of a long time. With his style, he's always taking shots. You know, he's, that's just he, that's the way he won his fights. Was, you know, he, he, was, he was worked behind his jab. He was, he was an intelligent fighter in his own right, but, you know, he wasn't a slickster. Yeah, he had to take one or two to give one, um, and, and that's, you know, he always sort of found a way to win. Um, but unfortunately with that style it doesn't doesn't favor going going you know going into your into your mid 30s and you know and, and I think he's made a complete right decision everyone is blowing smoke up John O'Carroll's ass I, I I don't think it was you know it was a good performance from him but it it wasn't you know a, a, an outstanding one I just think it was a, he was in there with a guy that was finding it frustrating and couldn't hit the target and that just didn't have it just didn't have what he used to have and and I think you know Scott was a little bit in his own head in that fight, and um, he made the he made the right decision to get out and bow out at the right time, because you know he's had a, he's had a couple of hard fights, but he hasn't had many, um, and his ability, you know, his 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 the snap and his punches and that being able to pull the trigger is just gone. Um, so 
yeah, I'd like to wish him and him all the best. And it was really nice to see him yeah, reunite with Gallagher for that for that last fight, which proved to be his farewell fight. But it was nice because Joe did the right decision, and everyone said, you know, he's, he left him in there too late. He knows Scott Quigg, he knows how tough he is, um, and he made the right decision to pull him out at that stage because you know, the, the, the snap in his punches, that one shot that could have turned it round, just had gone, had left him. And um, it was a perfectly, perfectly timed, uh, right time to chuck in the towel. Um, he gave him every opportunity, and, and, that's, and that's unfortunately boxing. You, you see it happening, you know. I've seen George just, you know, just in the training camps, just one or two training camps, and then just start to see it. Obviously, George's shoulder and stuff, but it's just not, not nice to see a boxer, when they were able to do so much, not be able to pull the trigger and not be as effective, and it's just sad, and they're doing the right thing to get out at the right time. And because the two, you know, someone like George and someone like Scott have made some money. They, they, they've, they've, they've made a success out of boxing, and uh, they can, they can go on to use their, use all their knowledge that they've, that they've done, and, and put it into up and coming fighters coming through, or whether it's in commentary or doing, doing loads of other stuff. And uh, you know, I wish them all the best. Alright guys, so as everything's going a bit mad right now, there's nothing else to talk about but dream matchups that we can only hope that are going to happen and hopefully a lot of the fights aren't going to get cancelled as well. I'm joined by the one and only Marshall Turner from the Combat Hour. First of all, thank you for joining me man, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me brother, I appreciate it. Nah man, for, for sure, it's, um, it's a pleasure to actually have human contact somehow in some form in this whole craziness right now. Social distancing, man, is killing everything. I've not moved, I've not left my house for like three days now, and I'm like hella depressed. Keep it that way, but you don't want to get this stuff. No. And anyway, that's a completely different topic. We're gonna to talk about the fights. First fight we're gonna be talking about is obviously, as I mentioned to you earlier, Javante Davis versus uh, Ryan Garcia. That's a dream matchup in terms of they are both young. Um, Javante is obviously the champion. Ryan Garcia's. Um, kind of had his hard test as of recent. I think his last fight was his measuring stick, really. Uh, first of all, I want to take your thoughts on that fight. Okay, first of all, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Gervonta's a champion. I don't really rate the WBA regular belt. It's kind of like a trophy, to be mm -hmm. honest. I guess he's a champion in the history of what I was a champion, but there's a real WBA belt out there. And, and who has the WBA right now? It's, uh, it's uh, Lomachenko. Lomachenko has the belt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, so the WBA Super and the WBA Regular you're talking about, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think that fight Tank would come forward because he's got such a, a reach disadvantage and I even think he's got a hand speed disadvantage. Ryan's got crazy hand speed. For sure. I, I see him walking into a lead left hook and getting hurt bad. We haven't really seen Tank hit hard or clean. But he doesn't ever face somebody with that kind of reach. It would be a very, very tough test. I would favor Ryan Garcia to knock him out from the middle of the fight. Really? I think yeah. I think a lot of people now are coming into that fact of actually giving Ryan the respect he kind of deserves. I mean, for, let's 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 not get it twisted. He's had what um, in his bunch of fights he's had. 
he's only really faced like one or two solid opponents, right? Um, and before his last fight, I would have said he hasn't got the skill set to mix it with Javante. I always give Javante. I know you say the WBA regular belt is not, you know, uh, it should, you know, you don't respect it in terms of there's the super belt. It's the actual champion. But Javante is beating Pedraza. Uh, he also beat Francesco, who Ryan Garcia beat. Um, Gamboa, I know, is old and washed, as people say, but it's still Gamboa. Like he had that ring experience and he battled it out with it. I think you have to give him the respect in terms of a champion. Um, and I feel like he would edge that fight, but you're completely right in terms of Ryan's speed and um, Especially that that last knockout was something. Oh my god. Like the way he knocked out Francesca. That was dirty Man, I'm telling you people think I'm crazy what I'm saying is he has the best lead left hook I've seen since Roy Jones. I'm telling you it's special man. That's so true. That is kind of I, you know what? I don't know if I fully agree with you, but I'm on the track. That's that's a very good point. That is a serious, because Roy Jones had the best lead left hook that I can re ever remember. Yeah, I'm saying he ain't Roy Jones, I'm not, and he'll never, he's not as talented as Roy Jones is, but that left hook is something spectacular. If you want to talk about measuring stick, right? Francesca's a tough, durable guy. It took Ryan one round to knock him out. It took Javante seven, eight? Something like that, yeah. I believe he was undefeated at that time, though. It's always harder to beat an undefeated fighter, but it's still impressive. For sure it is, and I mean, it's it's just one of those things though, like, um, I feel like another point, going back to the point of Ryan not being respected, it's because he doesn't carry that aura that Javante does. Javante carries more of a fighter aura, there's something about him being, I don't know, there's, there's always been something about Javante and the way he talks and everything. Ryan, I think because a lot of his uh, Instagram videos and his fan base now is not pure boxing fans. It's, t it's people who see his videos and tend to like, you know, follow him because of that. I think uh, that's another reason he doesn't get the uh, respect he deserves. That's a good point. He's kind of like teaming up with YouTubers and Jake Paul and what's going on. But he's got, like, take that aside, man. He's got crazy skills. So does Gervonta. But at lightweight, I'm more impressed with what Ryan's doing than what uh, Javante's doing. That's another point. Um, he doesn't struggle to make lightweight. I feel like Javante's weight issues is always going to be a problem with his career unless he fixes up because that's we've seen the same thing. N not with AB in terms of struggling to make weight, but I think if he if he did it right, he'd be a different fighter. Uh, AB struggled a lot. I think Javante, if he doesn't fix up now while he's young. Uh, with his weight, he'll struggle in the future, and obviously this is a future matchup we're talking about. There's no way they're gonna clash anytime soon, in my opinion. Anyway, and a lot of the outside the ring things that he's got going on, that's it's gonna make his career either short or very up and down. Like he needs that, to keep his life clean. That's gonna be interesting for all the young fighters right now. So we're talking about Ryan, Javante, even Haney, Lopez. They're gonna get that whiff of money, and once they get that money, what like what's gonna happen to their careers? Because there's a lot of money in boxing right now, and and with it's not just money. Like someone said this to me the other day, and this is completely off this fight, but they went clout is the new currency. So these guys are gonna be, like build their profile to a point where even back in the day, like if Nas had Instagram nowadays, they'd be completely different superstars. Do you know what I mean? So when they le reach that superstardom, not with just with money. Where are they gonna go? So yeah, that's a completely that goes for Ryan as well. That's a very good point. Uh, to be honest, it just seems like Ryan's got his head on better than Gervonta. At the he moment, seems to be more of a, a, a do-gooder, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But also remember, Ryan's not won a world title yet, so 
True. That's true. But you, you don't think he's making similar money? He's main eventing, main eventing big stadiums just like Javante is. Yeah, I'm, I don't know though. Money, uh, money does change when you fight for a world title regardless of where you're fighting and whatnot. Um, when you win a world championship, it's not even just money though, it's hunger in terms of I want to be a world champion. Javante's had that now twice, so, was it three times? Three times? Yeah, so, uh, there's there's that, that level of hunger. Ryan's definitely still got that because he's not won the pinnacle of the sport yet, so. But final prediction on that one, you're going with, you're edging towards Ryan. Uh, knockout, yeah. I am going for a late... Uh, late stoppage or a 12 round war Fiend Javante just edges it if he comes in with his head screwed up. Hey Fight fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you go ahead and do so by clicking the icon right here and also hit the bell button so that you can get alerts every time we upload a new video. So this is Danny Flexen for Seconds Out talking to Sugar Hill Steward live or not live but recorded from detroit and i just want to talk to you live from detroit (laughs) yeah live from detroit um just want to talk to you about the second wilder fight specifically and just first of all before tyson entered training camp and you knew that you were going to be training him for the fight did you already have the game plan in mind uh i had the game plan in mind when tyson called me and uh and we talked about me training him for the Deontay Wilder uh, Tyson Fury rematch. That's when I had the training. That's when I had the plan in mind. Uh, I hadn't watched that fight at all. Period. Up until after that point, when I received the call, uh, I didn't watch that fight or didn't. I don't want to say didn't have an interest in it, but I didn't really have an interest in it because uh, something else happened to me on that night, December the first. That was a Donna Stevenson and Vostick fight, so uh, I, I guess everything else that night just kind of wiped out for me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even watched the fight. I just said, yeah, I'll do it. and hadn't even watched the first fight. And what was kind of the, the bare bones, the skeleton of that game plan that you had originally for Tyson in the rematch? Uh, the bare minimum, the bare bones, knocked Deontay Water out. It's <laughs> a pretty good start. Yeah, that was it. Knock him out. Uh, Tyson had discussed to me that that uh, you know he got a draw the first time, and he wants to make sure he beats him. And I said, "Well, shit, the only for sure way you know to beat him is to get a knockout." So that's the plan. To get a knockout, then. <laughs> and Tyson's obviously known as a skillful boxer, great mobility, hand speed. Not necessarily, at least before the last fight, as a big puncher. What sort of things did you guys work on in camp to address that? Was it about punching correctly or, or um, weight transference? What kind of thing did you work on? I can't really tell all that. That'd be giving away <laughs> the crunk secrets, huh? That's the crunk style. Uh, you gotta come. You gotta come. To, you gotta come see me or come to Detroit. You know, come to get that to get that information. <laughs> Can you give us a hint? saying all the time is balance you know make some adjustments with his balance that's it uh, people say that you can't really teach I guess uh, punching power you know but 
obviously that's incorrect unless I'm the only one that knows how to teach it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are some there are some basic fundamentals to punching and you know punching power and things like that that I've learned you know from Emmanuel and uh, yeah, our reputation doesn't uh, precede itself. It's, it's it lives up to its reputation. It's the crunk crunk reputation. <laughs> One of the biggest things about the rematch was Fury's use of the right hand and how potent a weapon it became. In previous fights, he often kind of flicked it out or he was throwing it as he was moving, either backwards or laterally. Was that something you guys talked about as well, standing the ground a bit more and, and punching correctly, turning the knuckle over into the shot? We was just talking about knocking Deontay Wilder out. That was it. Hit him on the chin, knock him out. Hit him, hit him with the right hand. Yeah, throw the right hand with some force. Uh, and throw the right hand to Crunk style. You know, that's how Tommy Hearns threw the right hand. Multiple Corey, Jimmy Paul, everybody threw their right hands. That was the, that was the big weapon. That's the big weapon that Crunk is the right hand. I mean, that's, like I said, that's, that's, that's a proven fact. That's history. The big right hand. Everybody from Crunk wanted to throw that big right hand and get a knockout. And that's what was uh, instilled into Tyson. Uh, yeah. How important was it when you looked at Deontay Wilder's previous fights that he wasn't particularly comfortable fighting on the back foot? Because that, that seemed to be a key factor in, in the Fury fight. I didn't really know anything about that. I didn't look at Deontay Wilder so much like that. I didn't think he felt uncomfortable fighting on the back foot. That wasn't part of the plan, so to say, to fight him on the back foot. The plan was to knock Deontay Wilder out, uh, knock him out, you know, going backwards and knock him out going forward, knock him out in any direction. Uh, train for it and do it. Train for it and do it. How early into the rematch were you sure that everything you guys had worked on in the gym and the game plan you devised was going to come to a successful conclusion? Uh, let me go back to the last question real quick. Sure. Uh, the crunk style is a forward style, or an aggressive offensive style. And that's pretty much, you know, was the game plan. It had nothing to do with him fighting on his back foot. I, didn't, I wouldn't care if he fought good off his back foot. The, the crunk style, uh, you know, we, we, we don't try to adjust for anybody else. Everybody else needs to make the adjustments for us. Uh Plain and simple. I don't don't really think about the other man's style and oh he doesn't fight good on his back. No, Crunk is gonna always be an aggressive style of fighting, period. Uh, looking to set up this big knockout punch. This is one big punch, you know, on top of another big punch, on top of another big punch. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't I wouldn't say it's fair to say fighting off the back foot looking at it that way. I don't even talk like that. As far as I don't even talk boxing with that language, the back foot, front foot, and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, what was the next question? Um, how soon into the rematch were you completely confident that the thing you'd worked on was going to come to a successful conclusion? When the bell rung. Uh, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, when, even before the bell. I mean, I, don't, I mean, all during training camp, I knew it. Tyson was ready for this fight. Three weeks prior to the fight, like the first week in January, February, he was ready. I was fully confident if we went out there and fought now, he would win the fight. So the other three weeks just gave me more time to just add a little bit more stuff here and there, you know, 
I only know by because of the fighter, you know, himself being there. But yeah, um, he was ready for that fight. He came into camp. He was in shape. He didn't have to get in shape. Uh, he didn't have to lose any weight, as you all know now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. So when the bell rang, before the bell rang, when Deontay was making his entrance, we were warming up on the pads. We was in the ring warming up on the pads, doing pad work in the boxing ring. <clears throat> How about I knew it when he came out? When he came out, the paddy climbed. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and that just took everybody's breath away. Or how about when we woke up that morning? It was raining. It was like a. It was. It was fucking raining in the desert, British style. <laughs> and how about when I was at the house? How about I looked up into the sky and there was a rainbow over the house? How about any little thing? You know, everything, everything, everything. I already, I already knew that. I mean, everything that happened that day leading up to it, I was told. I was totally confident in the outcome of the fight. Uh, you can look at all these other little things as makeup things, but I mean, I just knew it. And when a fight's going as well as that one was, when everything Tyson's trying seems to be working, what's your job in the corner? What do you need to say to him when everything's going so well? Just change the gears. He was in seventh gear. You know, it's a, it's a twelve. You know, cars had now have ten speed automatics. This was a twelve speed. Tyson was a 12-speed, 15-speed, and, uh, you know, he was in seventh gear at that time. We just shifted into seventh gear, and that's when the knockout happened. Every round every round was uh, designed for a knockout, to be honest with you. The first round was designed for a knockout. If that round didn't, if that didn't happen in the first round, then the second round was designed for a knockout. Then the third round was designed for a knockout. Every round was designed to knock Deontay Water out. To go for the knockout, and uh, yeah, that's that was my job. Uh, uh, without telling you so much about what I do in that corner, because it's not really it's not rehearsed, really. It's just this is it's on the fly. You can't think about this stuff. You just have to react to it. You have to understand what's going on at that moment, and uh, be able to to conduct, be able to uh, command. To, to be able to do so many things as a coach, as a trainer, uh, in that corner, you, don't, you people say you got one minute, but you don't even have a minute. You got like forty-five seconds, and that's it. You know, uh, to make decisions, to, to to figure out what you want to say, what's the most important thing to say. Uh, you know, to make someone just maybe I wanted to say this, but as I'm walking up the steps, I change my mind, think of something else. Maybe I look into his eyes and see something different, and I can't even say what I wanted to say. I got to say something different. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh it's not as easy as people think it is to be to be a trainer to be in that corner to be in that situation and, and that on that large of a stage. But it's to me, it just feels like waking up in the morning and going to the bathroom. Don't have to think about that. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, really, really appreciate that breakdown of the fight.